Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Jessica Zeratsky. On behalf of Von Briesen and Roper, welcome to United Way's Fall Leadership Panel. We are so pleased to be hosting this exciting panel this morning. Here at Von Briesen, we are committed to our community and to partnering with United Way to make sure that we all live united. On behalf of both the Emerging Leaders and Women's Leadership Councils, thank you to our panelists and to our moderator for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. As a Women's Leadership Council member with United Way, I am thrilled to have the opportunity to introduce our moderator for today's panel, Gail Leone. I have lots to say about you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Gail is a senior counsel at Denton's, and for more than 23 years, Gail served as general counsel of three companies in three different industries. Global marketing, manufacturing, publishing, printing, and digital imaging, and insurance, banking, and financial services. Most recently, she was Executive Vice President, General Counsel, Secretary, and Chief Compliance Officer of Harley-Davidson. Gail is a sought-after board member for corporations and nonprofits. She serves on two corporate boards, including Badger Meter and Sargento Foods. Gail is also currently an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, and she was recently recognized for the Sandra Day O'Connor Board Excellence Award. Now, as if that wasn't enough, Gail also serves as the chair of the Women United Global Leadership Council for United Way Worldwide, where she is responsible for leading a global force of 70,000 plus women dedicated to creating a world of opportunity for everyone. Locally, Gail also serves on United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County's Women's Leadership Council. And I'm so proud that our local Women's Leadership Council is the largest network in the world. Yes. <laughs> With over 2,000 members raising over $18 million annually. Let's give a round of applause. Gail, thank you so much for being such a powerful leader and advocate for women in our local community and abroad. And thank you for sharing your time and expertise today as our moderator. Thank you. So actually, we're 75,000. It's new numbers. It's great. But Milwaukee's still number one. Still number one. I have thrown the gauntlet down. I have said, come on, Chicago. You know, come on, L.A. You can beat us. And they still have it. It's just remarkable. Anyway, we're going to have fun today. I've got all my girlfriends here. I'm going to introduce them properly in a minute. Christy, Jasmine, Mary Lou, and Jane. But um, this is a powerhouse, and you'll be able to learn from them. And we're also going to have fun, which is great. Um, I want to start with um, a few stats, because I think that's always helpful. 
There was a recent report published by Milwaukee Women, Inc. Um, founder Betty Quadracci, um, remarkable woman in this community. Um, and uh, that latest report <clears throat> talked a little bit about the fact that we know that when there are three or more women on a board, um, that those companies outperform um, with higher return on sales, higher return <laughs> on invested capital, and higher return on equity. Um, and so what does Wisconsin look like? Well, the report did show that Wisconsin's uh, percentage of women on boards in Wisconsin has gone up slightly from 17.6% in 2017 to 189 This data all lags because this is based on annual reports filed with the SEC, so it's always like a year behind, um, the, which is great that Wisconsin went up to 18.9%, but the national average is 26.7. So we have some room to move. Um, and I'm not exactly sure that 26.7 is where we want to stop either, right? So 12 of Wisconsin's top 50 public companies have three or more women directors, an increase of 33% from 2017, which is exciting. Um, and over half of the Wisconsin top 50 public companies now have two or more women board members compared to only 6% in 2008 when we first started looking at this. Um, the most important statistic is this, however, from my perspective, and that's what I think we'll focus on today. And that is 30% of Wisconsin's top 50 public companies have three or more women executives. But again, we're behind the national average. The gender diversity of executives of Wisconsin S&P 500 companies is 17.4 compared with the national average of 26.5. And why do you think that that's the most important? that's our pipeline. Um, that's our pipeline for leadership positions in government. That's our pipeline for leadership positions on, on corporate boards, on nonprofit boards. And since that is the pipeline for board seats, we, we do have some work to do. Um, when you look at the nine women who were elected to the corporate boards in Wisconsin, this is based on this Milwaukee Women Inc. report. Um, of those nine, seven were independent directors. And of those seven, only one came out of Wisconsin, okay? And that was Marsha Anderson, who's with the bankruptcy court for the Western District of Wisconsin. The other six were from companies not in Wisconsin. So that just tells you we have, from a Wisconsin perspective and our pipeline, which we should all be focused on, um, we have some work to do. And I, I will make one note because not all the studies focus on this, but I think it's incredibly important that um, the stats for women of color are below the national and Wisconsin averages based on the catalyst data of Fortune 500 reporting in 2017, which again is a lag for 2016. Women of color made up only 5% of executive senior level positions and only 3.8% of board seats. And I, I think that's something we can't forget. I think that's incredibly important. Okay, but our panelist companies are doing pretty well. So um, about 40% of executives at Manpower Group are women. And they have also been a leader, um, especially when Jeff Juris was the CEO, he really sort of led a sea change in the composition of their board. U.S. Bank, Jane, was uh, recently named by Forbes as a 2018 Best Employer for Women. Very good. And over 60% of its workforce are women. And uh, as reported in April of 2018, they had six women on the 16% of the board. Um, Advocate Aurora. 
has 14 members, four are women, and the current chair and the chair-elect are both women, right? Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? I yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and turning to ourselves at United Way, pretty exciting. Um, the, what we find across the country is that um, the average board is about 40% are, of the boards are women. Um, the good news is that 65% of the CEOs of United Ways are women. And of course, in Wisconsin, I've only known a woman CEO of, of Wisconsin um, United Way, which is very exciting from that perspective. Um, and just as a last statistical note, United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County's Board of Directors is made up of 30% women, which is higher. We're, we're a top market for United Way, and so this, the stats aren't as good for top markets for women representation, but we lead again in that space with the number of women on our board here, as well as the fact that we have a female CEO. Um, so the stats, I think, are really important always to look at. So we, we have room, we have opportunity, which is exciting, um, and so we want to we want to talk about that. Um, and I think it's great that we have these panelists here because I think they can help us figure out how we improve that um, and how they think we can move to the national limit level, at least in women leadership opportunities, and go beyond. Um, as one of my favorite characters in Star Wars says, use the force. So we have the force here, and we're going to use it. Um, so I, I do want to introduce the panelists, and I think you know most of them, and I'll start with Christy, who's the Chief External Affairs Officer, Advocate Aurora. Were you up all last night? A little. <laughs> no, probably, I figured, because her job obviously includes all the government affairs for Advocate Aurora. Um, one thing I will tell you, Christy, I, I think and I first met when you were running UPAF, um, but before that she had worked with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, she serves on the boards for Delta uh, Dental, uh, the Greater Milwaukee Committee, the United Community Center, and most importantly, she is the co-chair for uh, United Way for this year, which is very exciting. Um, she was just recently named as a 2018 power broker, as was Jane, uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, so I'll move to Jane, who um, is uh, Wealth Management Metropolitan Executive. I had to read that because that's a lot of words. Um, and for US Bank, um, and she is the executive, not just for Milwaukee, she's executive for all US markets. So has, leads a group of over 700 um, advisors and bankers in affluent wealth management growth strategies. Um, US Bank is a Fortune 100 company, uh, has over 78,000 employees, so she has a powerful footprint with them and um, has been named to the American Bankers Most Powerful Woman Banking Team, which is pretty exciting. Um, and as I mentioned, was just recently named as one of Milwaukee's power brokers as well. Jasmine, three days at Manpower, right? <laughs> but before that, um, she worked in the Government Affairs Group at Pfizer. Um, and, um, and actually the last time I saw her was at the uh, uh, Black Caucus, Congressional Black Caucus at the airport, actually, you know, where I hang out a lot. And, um, and she was actually working for one of my neighbors at Pfizer, who, and so when I went uh, back to our place in D.C., I 
saw Ken and I said, oh, Jasmine's so great, and then she leaves. So, <laughs> so I'm really going to get a note from Ken saying, what did you do? <laughs> anyway, um, I am thrilled she is going to be the director, uh, she is the director of Supplier Diversity North America for Manpower, and so we will see great things coming from what she's going to be doing with them. But when at Pfizer, she really sort of cut a rug because she was in the Vice President's Cabinet Award in 2008. She finished first in the state of Wisconsin's Pratt Division, a back-to-back -back win with Summit Award in 2009. Went on to win the Wisconsin District of the Year Awards for 2010 and 2011, and was a Dare to Try PAC Challenge winner in 2015. As an emerging leader, I am sure there is more to come. And Mary Lou. Emerged. Emerging, <laughs> emerging to, a, to a new career, right? Emerging to a new career. She has been the most incredible leader for United Way. She, I'm, I'm going to probably start crying. She um, is a dear friend, but she has just transformed the organization um, and has led us not just from a, you know, to new financial heights of over 60 million, um, and during some tough times, we had a, you know, an, an economic meltdown in the middle of it. <laughs> but um, she has been our inspirational leader, our spiritual guru, um, just has used, um, I, I can't say, management skills and abilities um, that go beyond. And we are, have been so fortunate to have her as the leader of this organization, um, she has announced her retirement, which will be in January. So we'll have plenty of time to toast her and roast her, probably, um, <laughs> for the rest of this. But um, I'm just thrilled of, uh, to have you on this Thank panel you. this morning. OK, so we want to start. And I'd like to talk. It was interesting. Uh, I opened the New York Times yesterday. And uh, they had a deal book section, and they asked this question, which was, what was your breakthrough moment? You want to start, Christy? Sure. Okay. So good morning. Um, pleasure to be with all of you. It's uh, great to see such early risers. And uh, so my breakthrough moment, uh, you know, as we were listening uh, to Gail's remarks, you know, it brought me back to a time when I was 27 years old. I, I was working for a newspaper in Wichita, Kansas. Um, I was, it was a Knight Ritter company, they're no longer in business, unfortunately. But um, I had the trajectory of moving to some other larger markets and was a um, manager within the organization and, and got a new vice president who happened to be a male. And he had a conversation with me at the time saying that I was going to have to make a choice between my career and raising a family. And I was single at the time. And, um, and really kind of was giving me the, you got to make a choice. You can't do both. You can't be successful at both. And, um, and I was very committed to this company and to Knight Ritter and to what I thought my future career track was with, with this organization. But at that particular moment, I got a call from the journal company who at the time um, ran the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and TMJ4 and radio and TV and a whole host of other broadcasting uh, stations. And they asked me to uh, come up and, and run um, part of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And let me, you know, let me just give you some background. I was 28, I was single. Uh, my entire family of 
roughly 100 um, first cousins, uh, quite frankly, <laughs> um, all lived within 30 miles. And, you know, I was born and raised there. I'm um, first uh, college graduate of 36 first cousins to graduate from college. Um, and um, and to, to move to Milwaukee was not an easy decision. But it was a critical moment in my life where I said, you know what, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go somewhere else and I'm gonna make a career there. And um, it was not easy to move um, here to Milwaukee and leave my family and friends behind and to know absolutely no one. I, I came here, I knew no one. And that was 20 years ago. And, and I think it was the best decision I could have made. Not, not an easy one, and that first year here was, was definitely hard on me, but um, it was something that definitely changed my life. Good move for us. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you, Jessica and Van Briesen, for hosting us here this morning, and to the Emerging Leaders Council and Women United for allowing me and inviting me to be a part of such distinguished women alongside of me. I'm thrilled to not just be here during Welcome Home Week for me, but to be serving um, in this seat right now for Manpower Group um, and being able to be with you all here this morning. I would say my breakthrough moment, I've had two in the last I would say five and a half years that has brought me to day three at Manpower Group. And it started really with leading in a life of the principles of the United Way. Advocate, volunteer, and give. And so being a donor and a volunteer and an activist for um, our community here my entire lifetime, born and raised in Milwaukee, so really being home is an amazing thing for me right now. Um, but being able to serve in a capacity with the United Way has definitely been very rewarding personally, but through that investment of time and even investment through campaign has afforded me the opportunity professionally as well. And so I would say about seven years ago, because I was with Pfizer um, over 12 and a half years, of which I did see Ken in New York um, during my transition week, and I didn't yeah. do a proper goodbye, so I covered <laughs> you on that one. <laughs> and, and spending my time in healthcare for over 20 years, I mean, going now from, you know, that side of healthcare to a brand new industry, uh, but it started from an aspect of serving as a volunteer on the Health Ancillary Committee for the United Way. And when I got promoted after seven years in southeastern Wisconsin on the business side of Pfizer to lead government relations and corporate affairs for the Illinois market, it was very important to a particular leader for me to not lose my visibility and my exposure here at home. And so she sat me down and said, you know, you spent all this time in the health ancillary committee and you've done a great job. Would you be open to looking at an opportunity to serve with the United Way in a different capacity? And that was at the time that they were looking to pilot the Diversity Leadership Society. And what that did for me was it took me out of my natural comfort zone, but it provided me the opportunity to not just be innovative, but be able to um, be in front of leaders, and because that came with the opportunity to serve on the campaign cabinet, um, and access to leadership across every single public and private nonprofit sector here. And so along the way of the last four and a half years, um, that was a breaking point for me. Because while I did serve on the campaign cabinet here at home, I also did in Metropolitan Chicago, it was able to still have my foot here and have me have access to leadership and not me forget about home and for them not to forget about me as well. 
And beyond the amazingness of Mary Lou Young and being able to <laughs> forward that opportunity to me, for, for her <laughs> insight and being able to see in me what she was able to cultivate in areas that I necessarily didn't recognize that I had the ability to do myself. And I would say that breaking point for me was you know, learning to be open and to trust individuals who are giving of themselves. And besides her and individuals um, like Cecilia Gore, who not only opened up opportunities, like take me with them and say, come with me, or personally holding my hand and walk me up to individuals to make that perfect introduction that I would have necessarily never had on my own. And so when you have individuals who are confident in their capabilities and how they serve and how they lead, and there is no other ulterior motive but to create pipeline and longevity, for me that was a breaking point, not only opening up doors for me personally, but helping me teach uh, myself what I want to be as a leader to pay it back forward as well. That brought me to a breaking point um, July 2nd of this year, where um, my direct leader almost gave me the same ultimatum of being able to be stagnant in my growth and development. Pfizer's world headquarters is New York, and I've done an amazing job of getting access and exposure from being a field-based colleague. But being the only parent to an amazing 11-year-old, he's sacrificed enough the last four and a half years with me. Last year alone, I drove over 38,000 miles and took 41 flights. And so being able to make a decision of, you know, the question that was asked to me was, what's feasible for you and your son? And that, for those of you who know me, that didn't really set well. Um, but what it forced me to do, and I'm forever grateful, it forced me to do some self-reflection and for me to just write down three things that were important to me that I didn't, so during the Independence Week with fireworks, I was doing independence for myself. And writing down three things that were important to me, and I didn't share it with anybody, but it was in that moment that I shook a tree and opportunities just started falling my way. I wasn't looking for anything. Literally, I was doing very well. Um, where I was, but being able to still tap back into being open and being postured and positioned for opportunities when they come your way. And leadership, you know, for me in that breaking point, you have a lot of people who are able, but not everybody is willing. So being able to be surrounded by individuals who are both able and willing to invest in you, and you still have to show up and you still have to be able to perform and excel to, you know, make for sure you're a great and proper reflection for them. But that was my, my personal breakthrough moment and learning that everything happens for a reason and in due time, but everything builds upon itself. So for her opening that door for me about five, six years ago has brought me to this seat today and while I'm able to be home. So thank you. So the amazing Mary Lou. Oh, God. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot to live up to. <laughs> Thank you, first of all, for having us here today, and um, I appreciate being on this panel with my girlfriends. Um, you know, I started at uh, in a Fortune 500 company and retired from there, and most of you know that is Rockwell Automation, but when I started working at Rockwell in 1985, it was Rockwell International, and it was based in Seal Beach, California. I, it was a huge company. We built the space shuttle. That was our claim to fame at the time. So a lot has changed at Rockwell, and a lot changed with my career as a result of that. I remember, and I can't remember the date, but it was sometime in the 90s, I was working in training and development for the global top 200 executives, meaning that we did planning and uh, figuring out, you know, how would we have quarterly development uh, 
opportunities for them. And the company was looking at succession for our then CEO, Don Beal, and appointed three EVPs as potentials. Um, one of them was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and his name was Don Davis, and I didn't know him. But I was very um, aggressive. <laughs> I went to HR and I said, is there any way I would be willing and offer to staff Don Davis when he is in California? Now, admittedly, I thought this was gonna be for like eight weeks, all right? I, I really didn't understand that he was going to fully have an office in California and be there for over a year before they made a decision on whether or not he would be our new CEO. But um, that was a really difficult year for me, even though I was a lot younger and had a lot more energy. I worked my tail off. And I figured the worst thing that would happen is I got to know um, one of the senior officers at Rockville International. That wasn't gonna be bad for me in any case. As it turned out, uh, Don was appointed to the chairman and CEO position, and when he opened his uh, chief of staff offering, he offered it to me. That became highly controversial in the company because I wasn't that old. I hadn't earned my stripes. I'd only been there a decade. I, you know, this was old school. <laughs> um, and I kept reminding everyone, I raised my hand and offered to work 80 hours a week and support Don when he was in town. It did change my life. I got to live vicariously on the coattails of a Fortune 500 CEO for over a decade. Everything I've learned in leadership, I learned from Don Davis um, and Rockwell. And I would tell anyone that stick your neck out, um, make some, take some risks, make some choices, offer your uh, services, but um, there was, I mean, geez, I got to fly on the company plane. I also got to go to board meetings for, um, you know, in a, in a Fortune 500 company. I got to see the best of the best in leadership. And um, while I might have only been, you know, a note taker, um, it was the best learning platform I could have ever had. So, yeah, that was my big change in my career. Yeah, great. Uh, okay, so the, the tapestry that I'm picking up on here is we are so lucky to be in this city because look how accessible these leaders are that come in and out of our lives. So first I would just say recognize we have a unique opportunity in the nimbleness of this city to completely help one another. So I, I just want to point that out because it's, it's not the case in every city. Um, I, I would say for, for my own career, it has not been one specific break point or make point. Uh, what it has been is the ability to um, put yourself out there to understand the socioeconomic trends at hand in each stage of your career and then figure out a way to have a position and gain skill in that regard. So um, in the banking industry, the last 30 years that I've spent there, when I think about starting my career, it was very much at that time about how you could establish different distribution in the banking industry, whether it was on-site or whatever it was. And being a student of that, being an excellent thinker around that, allowed you to differentiate yourself and you would be put in positions to actually take on additional projects. As that kept going in your career, um, I think about like most recent breakthroughs and what I would say is number one, the team is never your own team. 
And the more that we can realize that the right way to think about teamwork is absolutely horizontal through an organization, when you can do that and identify socioeconomic trends that you could be an expert in, like right now, look how fast digitization is happening. Everything in the, um, everything in the wealth space is wealth transfer right now. And it's very much about how we're receiving and, and honoring women right now. So um, how do you take those socioeconomic trends how do you align those to thinking about how you can impact and be a cultural carrier, a change carrier throughout the whole organization? And think about your role bigger than just what your title is. For me, um, the most recent breakthrough moment was doing the right thing, um, volunteering two and a half years ago to um, make someone else's strategy more important than my own business line in the company and to have the CEO and the vice chair ask what your strategic opinion was about the way that that particular most important strategic imperative for the company was operating. And then take the opportunity to actually prepare a presentation around that, um, take the opportunity to socialize your ideas, and before you know it, all of a sudden you become the owner of those ideas. Uh, I was not running the wealth business line at that time. I was helping lead all of the branch system um, across Wisconsin. But what happened was, as we rolled out a strategy for the organization, you had a chance to be a leader in that regard and make that priority more than your own personal priority, right? So again, think horizontal about the most important strategic priorities in the company. How do you make yourself an expert in socioeconomic trends that are happening? And how do you take on those responsibilities horizontally, not just vertically your own? And I think people notice when you have the ability to be a change carrier or a change maker or a cultural maker in the company. And um, the executive staff will notice that, I think, and they will help you put you in a position of great influence in the company. Good, good advice, good advice. Um, one of the things I do want to focus on is, um, uh, and we've got four amazing leaders here, so they'll be able to help us with this, but it's, um, what value do you see in increasing diversity on um, on boards? And um, I'd like to start, if, if, if Christy, you could talk a little bit about this, because I know you have just gone through a merger of Advocate and Aurora, and, um, and I know that you attend those board meetings. Um, and so I would, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that, because I think that's a question that always comes up, um, particularly from emerging leaders. Um, about uh, why is that important and what's the business case for it and, and you know, do we see trends in that? So, um, it, and as far as you know, Gail's opening remarks around the trends, I mean, we're making very slow progress. Progress is good, it's moving in the right way. Um, but it, it, is, it is not moving at a pace in which I personally believe that um, it needs to in order to create true uh, value um, for companies and for our society and for our communities. And at Advocate of Our Health, we you know we merged April first. Uh, we brought um, two systems together. We have over seventy thousand employees in the state of Illinois and in the state of Wisconsin. We're a fourteen billion dollar company, and in bringing the two organizations together, we were extremely mindful of making sure that our board was representative of um, both legacy organizations, but also more importantly, our commitment to diversity. And our commitment to diversity is really around valuing differences. And uh, you know, we're all different. There's not one of us that's like anyone else. 
Uh, if you're parents of twins, you know that those two <laughs> twins can't, uh, they're not identical. And, um, and, and so for us, diversity is about differences, and by bringing differences to the boardroom, we're able to have a higher level of strategic thinking. We're able to have voices at the table that represent our patient population, which is critically important for us to be strategic in how we drive our clinical outcomes. And so our board is made up of 30% um, uh, women and 30% people of color. Um, as Gail mentioned, our current board chair is a female and our incoming board chair is a female person of color. And I think that um, speaks volumes not only to our commitment, but uh, actions speak louder than words. And when um, people look up in the organization and see that the board is very reflective of um, diversity of thought and skill set and, and uh, representation as well as, you know, um, business acumen. You know, sometimes um, I think individuals yeah. think... Uh, you know, sometimes individuals think that think that it's you know this nice thing to do or it's this quota thing over here, but there really truly is a business um, imperative around uh, diversity. And um, in our executive team in, in the C-suite, um, we have about 45% female, uh, which I'm one of, um, but I am the only person of color, and. Um, Part of my uh, role for the organization is not only government relations and community relations, but it's diversity and inclusion. It's our patient experience. It's our foundation. It's all of our externally facing. I do have internal facing work with diversity and inclusion and with patient experience, but it's a real simple case for us. We care for people, and every individual who walks into our walls in terms of our clinics or our hospitals uh, they're coming to us at a time when they're vulnerable and they need our help. And we need to be able to relate to them and understand their unique differences. And the way we go about treating them clinically um, may be different, um, but ultimately what we want is the same outcomes. We want the same equitable outcomes regardless of what differences come into our door. And so that is a, a, a business strategy that our board and our executive team buy into, and we value that in terms of how we... Um, look at the way we bring people onto our boards. Thank you. Mary Lou, you um, sure. talked about being in uh, Rockwell's boardroom for 10 years or so, um, and so you ha have a unique seat to be able to speak to this issue as well. Um, I just love your thoughts, plus we know you have a lot of our local CEOs on your board at United Way. So I do, I have almost all our local CEOs. I know you do. <laughs> I also have these two diverse, talented women, uh, Jasmine and Christy, both on our board. When I took this job, we have a big board. It's, four, it's 50 people. I mean, it's big. Um, and we do want representation from our corporate partners, and that representation often starts at the top. But we very purposefully um, looked at the board composition, and while we've always had a distinguished complement of women, thank you, Gail, um, we were deficient in having persons of color on the board, and I'm not gonna. I'm not sure of these statistics. We're in governance right now, but I believe when I started the role, we had about six or seven percent persons of color on the board, and 
assuming that all of the nominees are elected in January, we'll take that to 28%. So we have very thoughtfully and purposefully done this. I will tell you my own bucket list was to have a person of color running the United Way Board when I left, and that's Corey Nettles. I'm really happy about that. And Linda Benfield is our vice chair, so she will replace Corey when he turns off in 2020. And she will be, what, the only second female, right? She'll only be the, yeah, second female that will be at well, the helm of the United Way Board. Um, I think, you know, at the United Way, there's no, you, first of all, why not have a diverse board? I, there, that would be the question. I mean, what's your excuse for not having a diverse board? But the United Way is a community organization. I'm a steward of it. We need to look like the four counties that we serve. Now, there could be a debate, and there isn't even in my internal staff, on is that representation of our donors or our clients? I would say it's both. And we are ahead of the game if we look like the four-county footprint that we serve. But that's not enough. It, it shouldn't be such, I mean, I, I welcome the time when it's no longer such a purposeful discussion on how to increase persons of color on our board. We've come a long way, we have a long way to go, but the conversation is old school, and I think that we can do better than that, and I hope we will in the future. Yeah, and I hope so too. In our lifetime, right, Mary Lou? Yes, in my lifetime. <laughs> Jane, you were um, obviously with a company in the Fortune 100, um, so I'd love your thoughts about this. Well, obviously, with a, with a very formal board in the, in the Fortune 100 space, you know there are a lot of um, expectations that the formal board has of a Fortune 100 company to do this. Really intentional choices on recognizing again, you know, what do consumers want? And we have to be a reflection, I mean, be an effective financial provider. You have to be a reflection of the communities that you serve, and, and we just weren't. The intentionality recently with our board, we have brought on all kinds of diverse talent in terms of women, men, African American, whatever, whatever diversity it is. The business case is clear. To build a sustainable and purposeful mission, which if we say we are here to enable the power of potential, how do you do that? And the only way that you can do that is if you deeply understand what the needs, what the preferences of each consumer segment that you serve really, really is. Um, so the idea for us has been to not only think about the board Gale from a Fortune 100 perspective, but what's the responsibility that we have to develop women and, and leaders of diversity at those levels that then feed the board internally. Why is it that we have to go externally and do this very deep search? We should be able to cultivate in Fortune 100 space that talent. And what I would share with you that we've learned and things that we have to do better is that it's, it's like this missing 33% that um, many leaders uh, talk about a lot. It's the strategic, it's the business, uh, being able to understand the strategic view, the business view, and the financial view we need to do a better job of equipping our leaders today that are diverse right now and how they add value in that stream. It's one thing to be a leader of people, it's another to be an effective leader of a business in a time where things are so, so changing as quickly as they are. They'll never change more slowly than they are today. It's only gonna accelerate. So we have a responsibility, I think, to um, position you know, upper and middle management as strongly as we can. Uh, we now have very public 
um, expectations of numbers and pipeline build and recruiting techniques and things that we've put in place. But once you do that, I go back to you've got to build that strategic business and that financial framework so that they actually can read the signs of the business and add value from a diversity perspective in a way that's sustainable to everyone in the community. Jasmine, um, who do you think can be, as a young leader, who, who do you think can be allies in this? And, and, and what's your perspective about you know, how, how you make those changes? Absolutely, <clears throat> and thank you for the question. I was, you know, piggyback and just do a continuum of what Jane was mentioning about the pipeline and being in, um, able to ensure that those individuals that are coming through the pipeline are prepared to be able to move into the seat. So as those leaders are transitioning off of those corporate boards, have we done our due diligence as we are grooming the next level of emerging leaders to be postured and prepared for that? Um, one of the things that I um, learned through the onboarding, it was one of the things that stood out from a standpoint of it takes over 18 years to create the next pipeline of workforce. So when you look at where we're at right now, the workforce is a workforce. And so I know that you mentioned a lot of the statistics, you know, from the board demographic components. But even when you look at the pipeline of talent internal. So coming from a Fortune 50 company such as Pfizer, a lot of our board members reflected and looked a lot like the shareholders. And so being intentional about ensuring, as Christy and Jane and Mary Lou both mentioned, that your boards also make up the components of the individuals that are utilizing the products or services. But I would even take it a step further and even drill it internal from an ELT perspective. And so as a um, middle to upper level management, the interaction with board members are, is very difficult. I mean, even in my role at Pfizer, government relations, corporate affairs, there was specific sign, I can just like go call a board member of Pfizer, right? And so being able to ensure that individuals, everybody just wants to see themselves. So when I look at the statistics that you shared, but even taking it here at home, less than 4% of African Americans are management level and above when you look at the major corporations here. So what does that even say from a pipeline to get to a board seat when less than 4% of me and people that look like me are management level or above? So beginning to, as we're working for the business case for the external um, boards, I would say the conversation should also look at what does the executive leadership team look like and how is that pipeline internally? How are we grooming emerging leaders collectively to be able to be postured for the corporate board? But that's part of the pipeline. So if the workforce isn't diverse or those leadership tracks aren't continuing, you have no accessible individuals to be able to be prepared to take on a corporate board. So it goes back to what I was even saying from our breakthrough moment every situation begets the next situation. And so if we're looking to continue to progress in a positive manner, it takes the investment um, on the front end internally to groom those leaders to go through the continuum. And Gail, one more thing I just want to add is I think no. companies can be better about having, um, identifying leaders that actually get a chance to present to the board. Um, having diverse leaders prepare, as I said, you know, the strategic, the business, the financial case to something that is aligning the socioeconomic trends. And how many times do we identify a diverse slate to actually go and present to various boards that begin to understand the board expectations even? These are some of those stepping stones that you're talking about where we just expect it to be there, but we're not doing enough to cultivate the steps inside the organization. Well, and I'm not so sure that age is important to diversity right. as well, having a younger voice within the boardroom as well. I think there's there's been some 
more conversation about that, but, but I agree with you, and I think as senior leaders, it's really incumbent on us to do that. I remember when I was at Harley, um, I led a project on sustainability, and it was the first time we had looked at it, so this is maybe 15 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and I pulled together a cross-functional team that actually included the current CEO, um, but it, it was um, cross-functional, like including international cross-functional. Um, and they were, I would say, manager director level throughout the company. Um, but it did include our head of engineering and a few things like that. And, and we did some really out of the box thinking. Mm -hmm. And I had a group of people in our strategy group that really sort of led this. And they were probably all in their 30s, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and I had them do the presentation at the board. And they got a standing ovation. I mean, it was, it was mm -hmm. breakthrough. It was, mm -hmm. it was um, using our, our, our Harley um, marketing philosophy within what we were doing and how this should be integral with the basic you know, corporate premises. Um, and literally got a standing ovation from the board. And this were you know, three, a diverse team, 30 year olds in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. So I think there are opportunities for senior leaders to do that mm -hmm. and, and put people in front of the board. And I think it does open people's eyes to, uh, to change, which I think is good. So let's talk about allies. <clears throat> and, I, and I think, you know, Jasmine, your, your perspective on this, particularly as really a significant emerging leader, it would be really helpful, I think, for the audience. But, but men, we have a few men in the yes. audience. Yes. Um, men as allies in this. Um, and, and who else do you think are allies in, in really sort of changing some of this discussion, mm -hmm. which I think is important? So I would say definitely, you know, men are very important. Thank you so much for the gentlemen that are in the room to understand and <laughs> yes. the importance of this conversation and being here with us this morning. But for me, I would even say every individual should have a role in this and, and look at themselves as an ally. So for me, it's men and women. Um, when I look at, and this is just from my particular perspective and lens, um, back to what I said earlier about everyone wants to see themselves. And so as we've embarked on gender diversity, which has had a tremendous uptake um, in the last you know, five, 10 years, ensuring that you know, white women who have now you know, embarked on a, a tremendous path of leadership opportunities, where do you see me? You know, so I would say you know, looking and being reflective for men and women in the room, like when you go to your prospective organizations, are you seeing people of color just greeting you or in your cafeteria services? You know, when you're looking at your organization charts, where do you see me? And I know a lot of times individuals are mentioning, you know, I don't see color. And to me, and again, no, I'm full, this, this is a personal statement. Um, I'm not lo no longer representing Pfizer. I'm only three days into Manpower Group. <laughs> but when you look at um, individuals from making that statement, and I know in the bottom of their heart, they're really saying it from a genuine space, trying to forge and build. But for me, that's a factual statement. When you say you don't see color, no, you literally don't see color because when you're walking in your organizations and you're looking at your leadership team, you're literally not seeing color. And so for me, you know, being able to understand that the weight that Christy feels and carries as the only woman of color, that's a big burden. And while it's still complimentary to still be the first in whatever we do, the first woman, the first person of color to something, it's still a heavy load because 
I cannot speak for every African American person. While I, I'm honored that you're tapping into my insight and you would like to know, and I think that's where a lot of the conversation needs to start, but I can't answer for every single person. And when you're the only one, and sometimes you're wearing all the hats, you're the only woman, the only person of color, the only person under 40 at the table, and you are having to continue put on and take off hats, it would just be easier, to your point of getting to a place where we're looking at talent. And so for me, when that comment is, and I know it's coming from the heart when you don't see color, for me it's also you don't see me. Because while unless I tell you who I pray to and who I'm you know, sharing my home with as a partner, the first thing you do is see me as a woman of color. And for you to say you don't see color, that's saying that you're not recognizing who I am because I am a black woman and I'm proud to be so, but it does bring a specific perspective and a different voice that unless you see me, you can't hear me. So that's what I would say from an ally perspective and ask each and every one of you to continue the work that you're already doing to be allies for everyone to have that equity and access for opportunity. So we have three women here on the panel who are in positions to make change, not only within their own organization, but within the community. So starting with Jane, what, what do you think, if you could think of one thing to do to make a change to reflect that, what do you, what do you think it would be? What would be the most impactful? Um, you know, I think men being here, and so Chris, Brian, you know, Keevan, I think Jim or John, about all of you, you're casting a shadow right now by showing up, and it's a very positive shadow. And I think one of the interesting things um, about gender diversity that people sometimes dismiss is it's really relevant in how we interact with one another. Um, so the one thing that I would say is, how can we keep going at this together? It should never be me to, it should be we to. And recognize this in the very small things that you do, um, that men do, to become consciously unbiased. Um, show up, keep showing up to things like this. Women, when you start the BRGs and everything else, that you, you, know, you start all these clubs, everything else, uh, the most successful BRG we've done in US Bank is right here in Wisconsin, and it gained 500 members very quickly, and that's because, Gail, what we did was we did the We Too thing, and we included men in the BRG, we have men on the board, we identify uh, male power leaders in the community to help women inside of the organization. Take all of the old paradigms and turn them upside down, but recognize, you know, Back to the men, you know, it, it's in how you are validating that you see us, you respect us, you're thoughtful in reference, you find ways to amplify points we make instead of taking credit for it yourselves. Those little tiny situational things can have a very, very big difference in a women's confidence level to step up and to be assertive and to be ambitious instead of just being patronized as being collaborative and compassionate. Mary Lou, your thoughts? Thank you. Sure. Um, I would say men opened doors for me, but women kept me from closing them. And what do I mean by that? And how can I be that person that helps people from closing doors? Um, you know, without somebody like Don, I probably wouldn't be in this job. But without someone like Gail, I wouldn't have stayed in it. So for all of the anxiety that you go through in trying to career path yourself and make a difference and make an impression on people that will be positive for you and also just, you know, living through the hard knocks because there will be a lot of them <laughs> um, and not 
picking up my crayons and going home because I didn't get what I wanted. Um, I would say that my, my counterparts and colleagues and my girlfriends helped me through that immensely. So I'm proud of the fact that it, it's interesting to hear Jasmine give me so much credit, but to when, when I hear my younger staff say nothing's changed, I think, okay, no woman could have opened the door for me. So when Jasmine gives me partial credit for opening doors for her, I think, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and hopefully that she will feel um, empowered to call me 24-7 before she closes the door. Because it's easy to pick up your crayons and go home. It's really hard on a day-to-day -day basis to navigate what can be barriers, seen and unforeseen. Um, so I hope that that's what I can continue to do for young people, whether they're male or female is open doors where I can and keep them from closing them. Thank you. Christy, I'd love your thoughts on this and then I want to open it for questions. So, you know, for me it's kind of simple. I think, you know, what was it, over a hundred years ago women didn't work, right? So business... We didn't vote either. Yeah, right? I mean, we've made progress. Um, and we made really good progress, but we have a lot more to go. But, but I think about it from the perspective of businesses were built in a culture that was dominated by men. And going back to the fact that we're all different, and you know, you've read books, men are from Venus, whatever. But the reality is, is that is a different mindset, it's a different way of thinking, it's a different way of maneuvering. And, and for, for me, and keeping it simple, you know, think about when you have a cookout in the summer. Who's, who do you invite over? If everybody that you invite over looks just like you, then, then we're all doing ourselves a disservice, right? Because the more I can understand and value the differences that everybody in this room brings, the more I'm gonna be able to replicate that in my career, and I'm gonna be able to replicate that um, strategically for the organization. And it really is about trying to get to that one-to-one -one dynamic where you understand the differences between every person you interface with because there are not two people alike. And, and so if you, you know, if your kitchen table for a cookout looks, you know, if you got all, you know, we, we tend to run in tribes. There's, that's how we are as human beings. We run in tribes. You know, that's why this room is predominantly filled with women. But there's a whole other half out there that you gotta work with. So how do you figure out how to do it? And I, I, and I think for me it's really simple. You gotta value differences. Mm -hmm. And Christy, I'd add, you know, be intentional about building an inclusive board of directors around you. And when asked to serve, serve. You know, I mean, every year your own personal board of directors should be different and inclusive and change. And, and in all the circles, in your spiritual circles, your family circles, your industry circles, your corporate circles, but uh, being willing, again, to serve in that capacity for someone very different than you, and actually suggesting that you do that to one another, with one another, is one of the best things we can do. Every human being, no matter who you are, deserves that inclusive, diverse board of directors around you to even understand the world that we live in these days. It's just baseline foundation, I think. And one thing I would add, and you guys heard it first, I've been toying around with integrating inclusion. 
And so to your point that we all tend to, you know, be diverse, but at the same time still run in the same circles, whether it's all women or, you know, all African-American or people of color. So being able to integrate inclusion is definitely something about that intentionality. Um, and so you all heard it first. I've been toying around with that because and we talk about, you because know. Because that's going to be your new job. It's yeah. absolutely going to be my new, your job. new job. And so being able to look at while, you know, inclusion as let's get one here, one here, one, when we begin to integrate the inclusion is definitely when we can get to the part where we can make magic happen. I, I want to thank Von Briesen. Thank you so much that you have been wonderful to host this. Um, I want to thank our panelists. Um, I. These are my girlfriends, and, it's, and, I, and I actually didn't even pick all the panelists. This was this is very exciting, um, but I, you know we, we I have done a lot of work with all of them in, in different venues and different nonprofit boards, um, and uh, so I am just thrilled that you could share your insights and perspectives. It's special to me, and I know it's special to the audience. And to thank you for your attentiveness and for being here and for being interested and uh, you know the important asset we have in this community which is our women leaders and to the men i want to thank you yes. for showing up and supporting us um, it is it is greatly appreciated so thank you all